Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined this week by Garrick Hodge, our recruiting writer here at 11 Warriors, who is filling in for Griffin Strom, who is enjoying his vacation in Costa Rica right now. So hope Griffin is having fun and staying safe. But it's the perfect week to have you on the show, Garrick, because Ohio State got some huge recruiting news on Monday night when Dylan Rayola, the number one overall prospect in the class of 2024, according to multiple recruiting services, committed to Ohio State. And even though we're not talking about the you know current class, we're talking about the cycle ahead, there's no question that he was the number one target on Ohio State's board. He was the guy that Ohio State wanted any more wanted more than any other recruit right now. And for Ryan Day and Corey Dennis to secure his commitment before his junior year, undoubtedly a huge win for Ohio State on the recruiting trail. Yeah, hell of a way to start your 2024 recruiting class, right? Might as well just grab the best quarterback and the best prospect, according to some recruiting services, while you can. But no, he's exactly what Ryan Day is looking for in a quarterback. Six foot three, 225 pounds. The frame is absolutely there. Threw for more than 3,000 yards and 32 touchdowns as a sophomore. And this guy could really make any throw on the field. He can put the ball 60 yards in the air. He can run out of a spread offense. He can run out of an eye formation offense. He can go under center. He can make all the throws you need him to out of the play action on a rollout. And he even makes some sidearm throws that draw some very interesting comparisons that I think we need to put a stop to with the epidemic. But I've seen him get compared to Patrick Mahomes. And not saying that is because Dylan isn't uberly talented, because of course he is. But I mean, I don't just don't know why we're comparing high school players that are two years away from college to NFL superstars, but I get it. It's, you know, it's a fun thing to do. And I understand why some guys do it, but no, I mean, you look at this guy and he can make any throw from any angle. Maybe we'll have to sharpen his delivery a little bit. Once he get to college, uh, Ryan Day will probably try to rein in some of those like awkward angle throws that he's completing passes with anyway. But no, I mean, late night for us, committed about a little after 11 East Coast time because he's on Arizona and committed probably around 8.05-ish. But it's hard to be anything but thrilled if you're an Ohio State fan waking up on a Tuesday and understanding that you've got probably the greatest start to a recruiting class in 2024 that you could possibly imagine. Yeah, and we've seen Ryan Day do this consistently since he became Ohio State's head coach. I mean... Days after he was named head coach, he secures a transfer commitment from Justin Fields. And then you just look at what he's done high school recruiting wise since he's become head coach. He lands CJ Stroud in the class of 2020. And obviously we see what CJ Stroud's doing, a Heisman front runner going into his redshirt sophomore year at Ohio State. Then he lands Tom Cord, five-star recruit in the 2021 class. He lands Devin Brown last year, which on free ranked Devin Brown as the number one overall prospect in his class. And now you land a guy who's he's number eight in the composite right now, but he is a good chance he's going to eventually end up being number one because both 24 seven sports and on free rank him as the number one prospect in their own rankings. So a, a lot of potential there. Yeah, no, what Ryan Day has done has been 
nothing short of outstanding on the recruiting trail when it comes to recruiting quarterbacks. And really, you know, he might even have one in 2025 if uh, things continue to go well with recruiting Ryan Montgomery, you know, a local product out of Finley. Obviously, a long way to go on that recruitment still, and plenty of things can happen, and they'll probably take a look at a few other signal callers in that class. But if things go well and according to plan, you know, they they could have their quarterback recruiting roadmap laid out for the next few seasons. But yeah, it's just a testament to landing Dylan to what Ryan Day has been able to do since taking over for Urban Meyer. And I think that it's pretty astounding how successful Ohio State has been recruiting quarterbacks. And I think within the recruiting industry right now, I think everyone is talking about that. If you want to be developed as a pro-ready NFL quarterback, the two best coaches to do that are Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day is certainly capitalizing on that reputation and turning it into big name recruits for Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at Ohio State's history, like Ohio, before Ryan Day, Ohio State was never considered to be a quarterback factory. And now all of a sudden here, Ohio State is in the mix for the top recruits in the, in the quarterback classes year in and year out. and really. You know, Ryan Day in a position where, you know, he's able to go pick his guy. I mean, a couple months ago, we thought Ohio State was the front runner for Jaden Davis, who some people also consider to be the number one player in the class. I mean, it, it looked for a long time like Ohio State was the front runner for Jaden Davis. And essentially, Ohio State just picked somebody else over him. Like, like that's the kind of position that Ryan Day has put Ohio State in is that you know, they can have, you know, arguably the top two quarterbacks in the 2024 class, both wanting to be Buckeyes and Ohio State having to make a choice between one of them. Ultimately, you know, they have now made that choice and they have gotten their guy that they wanted. There's no question about that. But, you know, I think a few months ago, if we would have heard that Ohio State, you know, was the front runner for Jaden Davis and would go in another direction, we would have been surprised to hear that. And that just speaks to the position that Ohio State's in where they have many top quarterbacks wanting to be a part of it. Or naturally, you would have heard that they're going in a different direction and your assumption would be, all right, well, Jaden Davis committed somewhere else. But no, they they picked a different quarterback. And to your point, Dan, I absolutely agree that I think Ohio State was the front runner for Jaden Davis. He visited Columbus multiple times and seemingly fell in love with the program. And by all accounts, I think he's going to be a great quarterback somewhere, but I think Dylan is just absolutely everything that Ohio state and Ryan day specifically are looking for in a quarterback. And they just found it and they have their guy in that class two years in advance and cannot emphasize enough how big of a recruiting one this is for the Buckeyes. Yeah, I think vote. The one question that lingers out there now is what is Ohio State going to do in the 2023 class? Because while, you know, this is as good as things could have gone in 2024, Ohio State really hasn't had any momentum with any of the top quarterbacks in, in 2023. And I don't think this is going to help. Now, I think the question is, does that really matter? And I'm not really sure how much it does because they still have, you know, we're obviously assuming that CJ Stroud is in his last year at Ohio state. They're still going to have Kyle McCord next year. They're still going to have Devin Brown. They've got Dylan in the pipeline for two years from now. 
2025 class you mentioned, they're already in a great spot with Ryan Montgomery, with you know his older brother Luke uh, being committed to Ohio State, of course. So the pipeline is very strong. Ohio State does not need to land a top quarterback in 2023 to keep going what it's had going at the quarterback position. Now, that's still not to say that Ryan Day doesn't want to land a top quarterback in 2023 because he has said on the record he wants to land a top quarterback every year. And so far, he's been able to do that. So if they aren't able to do that in 2023, you know, that would be a change. But, you know, it does feel like something's got to break their way in that class if they're going to land a top guy. And maybe it does, because at this time a year ago, we never would have guessed that Devin Brown would end up at Ohio State. And obviously when things uh, you know, unfolded at USC, you know, that put him back on the market and Ohio State was able to get in that race and ultimately land his commitment. And so maybe something similar happens in the 2023 class. But if you just look at the way the class is shaping up right now, I mean, most of the top guys in that class are already committed. And even of a few guys that are left out there, you know, I mean, you know, the top target, I think at this point would be Dante Moore, but it still doesn't feel like Ohio State's got a ton of momentum there. Like he has visited Ohio State a couple of times, but it still feels like it would be a pretty big upset at this point if Ohio State actually landed Dante Moore. Yeah, I don't expect them to. I don't really expect them to land any premier quarterback in 2023 necessarily. However, I am done doubting Ryan Day and his ability to pull a rabbit out of a hat when it comes to unexpected quarterback commits. Going back to your point about Devin Brown, like maybe something develops late and someone decommits somewhere or someone has a breakout senior season and suddenly goes from unranked to a four-star quarterback. We've seen it happen countless times. And I also, I think the likeliest scenario is maybe a late bloomer develops in Ohio or Ryan Day dips back into the transfer portal. But I don't see a scenario where Ohio State is going to go into next year with only two scholarship quarterbacks on their roster. So they're going to add somebody. It's just a question of who can they get to add. Obviously, I would think Dante Moore would be their top preference, but I think he kind of knows the writings on the wall at that point and doesn't want to put himself into that kind of quarterback room. They would love, you know, a guy like dinner Dylan Lonergan, but I also think that he's going to head to South Carolina because he's also a very prime baseball commit. And honestly, he might not even make it to college because he might just get a blank check from a major league baseball team from a major league baseball draft one day. But the moral of the story is I don't think this really matters. When, when you land the top guy in 2024, when you're set for this year with CJ Stroud, and then you have Kyle McCord, a five-star quarterback, duking it out with Devin Brown, a four or five-star quarterback, depending on what recruiting service you're using. I think you're in great hands if all your the gap you're wondering is for one year. So I don't really think it matters a whole lot. Now, that's not going to stop Ryan Day from swinging for the fences and trying to get his guy, whoever that guy may be, whether it's Dante or Dylan, the 2023 version, not the 2024 version. But I think that's just something that's going to we're going to have to wait to see how it plays out. And I think he'll let that go all the way down to spring football transfer portal cycle if he has to get the guy he wants. Because we also know that 
Ohio State is not going to add just a warm body to that quarterback room unless they absolutely have to. They're always going to swing for the fences on top premier prospects, no matter what their quarterback room looks like. Yeah, as they should. I mean, based on the track record, there's no reason Ryan Day shouldn't swing for defenses there, you know, and try to get a top guy because he's been able to do it every year. So there's no reason for them to stop. It just feels like they just haven't ever been in a position of any one of those 2023 guys to where you really feel like, you know, they've ever been a front runner for one of those guys. And, And I think if you just look at it from the quarterback's perspective, I mean, why necessarily would one of those guys want to come to Ohio State? If Dylan is as good as everybody thinks he's going to be, then there's a very good chance that he will be starting as a second year quarterback at Ohio State in 2025. And whoever comes in next year is looking at backing up either Kyle McCord or Devin Brown for at least one, if not two years. And so I think, you know, that's the challenging thing is a a guy who comes in, uh, you know, there's not that clear path to a starting job. And and it shouldn't necessarily deter a quarterback from coming to Ohio state, because I mean, we've seen guys like Joe Burrow, you know, transfer out and have success elsewhere. We'll see how Quinn Ewers and, and Jack Miller do after they've, you know, transferred out elsewhere. Transfers are always going to be a part of the equation. But, you know, I think if you're a guy like a Dante Moore who's a five-star, you're going to have options to go somewhere and potentially compete for a starting job immediately. And at Ohio State, you know, you, you potentially become the backup plan if if Dylan isn't everything you think he's going to be. And so I, I think, you know, that's the challenge when it comes to quarterback recruiting in 2023. But Enough of quarterbacks, because there's a lot of other stuff to talk about with the class of 2023. Most recently, Ohio State landing its 10th commitment for that class last week with Austin Sierraveld, in-state offensive lineman, four-star from Lakota East High School, the third in-state offensive lineman, the fifth overall in-state prospect in that class to commit to the Buckeyes. So certain good job by Ohio state of of locking down the top talent in state in that class. There's really only one other guy left in the state who they're still pursuing. And that's Arvell Reese, the linebacker from Glenville. And most people think they have a front runner for him too. So we'll see how that ultimately plays out. But, you know, we know that starting out in Ohio is a priority for Ryan day and his staff. They've done a great job of, you know, locking down commitments from those guys early on. And certainly Justin Fry, a a great start for him, at least in state to come in and Joshua Padilla had already committed, but to come in and then also land commitments from Luke Montgomery and Austin Sierraveld. Those were two of the most important jobs for him in year one. And and he has accomplished those. Yeah, he did what he had to do and locked down Austin Sierraveld and Luke Montgomery. Those were absolute necessities. And he accomplished that. So Luke was probably always going to be an Ohio State Buckeye at some point, even though, you know, he did his due diligence. But like you just from talking with him, you just knew that he fell in love with Ohio State early and often. And even though he considered other schools like Michigan and all the other 
schools of the world. Like you, you just always had a feeling down inside your gut that he was going to end up at Ohio State. Austin was a little different. Austin is a very reserved, very soft-spoken type of guy, and he plays his decision very close to the vest. I'm sure Ohio State wanted him to end his commitment right then and there when he visited April 16th for the spring game, but Austin being, you know, who Austin is, he wanted to play out his recruiting process to the very end, and he took another visit to Notre Dame for their spring game a week later. And I think that truly made Ohio State a little nervous that he may end up picking the Fighting Irish over the Buckeyes. I reached out to someone that knows Austin pretty well the day he announced that he, you know, had narrowed it down to three and he set a decision date. And he just responded, I truly have no idea where he's going. And Ohio State didn't know themselves until later that day on that Wednesday, which was, I think, a a full week before his commitment. But so Austin told us when we went to his signing, signing commitment at Lakota East that he didn't make his mind up until that Monday. He visited Notre Dame on that Saturday and he made his decision on a Monday. He didn't even call Justin Fry until Wednesday. And then he called Ryan Day two days later on Friday because he didn't want to bother him while Ryan Day was at the NFL draft. But Austin didn't make an emotional decision. And yet at the same time, it was a little bit of an emotional decision because Ohio State was his dream school. Ever since he was, you know, watching college football growing up, he was a lifelong Ohio guy. And he really kind of said a interesting thing about Coach Fry that he said that he was the only coach that said, I really want to coach you, which is kind of a surprising thing to hear because you would think that would be like every offensive line coach is like opening slogan for a four star recruitment like Austin is. But no, I, I think it's, uh, Austin's going to do really well on the interior of Ohio State's offensive line, especially considering that, you know, he's not going to play tackle. He's going to play either guard or center. But I think he absolutely has the capability of being a dominant left or right guard at Ohio State someday. We look at the class overall, 10 commitments so far, uh, and it's shaping up to be a race between Ohio and Florida for who can get uh, the most commits in this class because they have five commits from Ohio, and then four from Florida, the Ohio guys being Luke Montgomery, Joshua Padilla, Malik Hartford, Austin Sierveld, and Will Smith Jr. The Florida players being Mark Fletcher, Cedric Hawkins, Dijon Johnson, and Bryson Rogers. The lone commit so far from neither one of those two states, Ty Lockwood, tight end from Tennessee, who was the first commit in the class. Ranked fourth in the country right now. When I look at this class so far, I think they're off to a good start. I think they've got a good foundation. Now I think the question is, can they go hit some home runs? You know, I feel like, you know, baseball analogy, you can correct me because you're better at, at baseball, but I feel like they've hit a lot of, you know, singles and doubles so far. You know, I feel like they've got, some good players, you know, everybody they've brought into the class is a good player. You know, they're off to a solid start, but now it's a matter of, can you go get Brandon Innes? Can you go get Carnell Tate? Can you go get one of those top offensive tackles? You know, can you get him a race for, you know, a top defensive line prospect? I think ultimately whether Ohio state can win those battles is going to determine whether this is a good recruiting class or a great recruiting class. Yeah, that last sentence you just said there basically 
stole my opinion verbatim. I think right now it's a good recruiting class and I think it has the potential to be great. And, you know, I know they're not forecasted to land Richard Young right now, but they still have as good of a puncher's chance as any with him at running back. And he's been their top running back target forever. But even if they don't end up landing him, you know, Mark Fletcher's a hell of a running back to take into your spring football season next year. But I mean, there's still a lot of top of the market type of guys that they're still within striking distance of. And then, of course, we haven't even spoken about Carnell Tate yet, which nobody truly knows that has what exactly he's doing. It seems to be sort of a two team race between Tennessee and Ohio State right now, whereas, you know, Tennessee and their collectives, it'll be interesting to see if any of the new name, image and likeness guidelines passed by the NCAA will deter them or change their recruiting style any kind of way whatsoever. But, um, and even landing Dylan going back to quarterbacks for a second, I think that's a hell of a recruiting pitch for a 2023 wideout like Brandon Ennis or Carnell Tate. Like, yes, you're going to be throwing catching passes from either Kyle McCord or Devin Brown your first year or two. And then your last year or last two years, you'll perceivably be catching passes from Dylan. So your quarterback's already kind of locked in, which I'm sure is just an absolute peace of mind quality for a wide receiver when choosing a premier school of, all right, well, who's going to be throwing me the ball? Oh, well, the number one wide receiver in 2024. Great. Or on threes, number one prospect in 2022, Devin Brown, or oh, a five-star quarterback in Kyle McCord. That sounds pretty great to me. Yeah, that makes a big difference with wide receiver prospects, without a doubt. And I know both Ennis and Tate chimed in on social media shortly after Dylan's commitment. You know, I imagine him at 2024 class two, a couple receivers, but Ohio State is very much near the forefront for Jeremiah Smith and Joshiza Trebolt. All four of those receivers I just named all play on the same seven-on-seven team. So I don't imagine it's very fun being a DB playing against that seven-on-seven team when all four of those guys are five-star recruits. But Coincidentally, I, uh, the defensive back that does play on that seven-on-seven team, at least one of them, Cedric Hawkins, is an Ohio State commit and has said, I mean, this is very vague and it's already proven true, don't be surprised if one or all of them commit to Ohio State at some point. So anyway. Carry on. And, yeah. And Mark Fletcher plays on that team as well. So right. yeah, I mean, it, it's very clear right now that Florida has become a huge area of emphasis for Ohio State recruiting Florida and Georgia both right now. And, and Ohio State really seems to have some good headway in Florida right now. They just, uh, especially if that, you know, South Florida Express seven on seven team, which Again, I mean, with those guys we named, they've also got some DBs, other DBs that Ohio State's pursuing. Sharif Denson just put Ohio State in his top five. Damon Fagan is a safety that Ohio State has been talking to a lot too. And so, you know, that that's a good place to, to have some good inroads because, you know, we've talked about it before, you know, Ohio in the modern day and age, you know, Ohio State, it does need to land those top players from Ohio but you're not winning a national championship with, with a bunch of players from Ohio. I mean, you can, some of your players can be from Ohio, but if you're going to go win a national title, you've got to go get the top players from all over the country. And you know, you just look at, you know, Florida in particular, I mean, that's one of those States that, 
you know, produces a ton of talent every single year. So the fact that they've been able to go in there and, and make as much headway as they have, I, I think that's a, a huge thing for Ohio State. It's on the other end of the perspective there right now, Garrick. When you look at this class right now, where does Ohio State need to make up the most ground? Oh, absolutely. Offensive tackle <laughs> with without a doubt. I answered that question so fast. I didn't even need to think about it. You know, their top guys, I would say probably are chased by Sentis. And I would say Samson Okunla used to be, but he's sort of trended away. So now in that spot, I would put Olas Aline at that spot. And the good news with Olas is that he's already scheduled an official visit for late June. I have no idea what Chase is doing right now with Ohio State. He planned up, he was really high on them when I talked to him in February multiple times and just seemed very excited about Justin Fry and visiting Ohio State. And then absolutely nothing materialized over the spring. And yet he visited programs like Michigan State. So it's not like he didn't have any travel issues getting to the Midwest or anything in that regard. So I truly have no idea what's going on. But he hasn't eliminated them from his recruitment. He put out a top eight and Ohio state was still on it. And it is still conceivable that he could take an official visit to Ohio state and everything would just be gravy. But I think it's hard to know where they stand with guys like Monroe Freeling out of South Carolina, who just put a top seven list out and included Ohio state on it. But again, he hasn't visited Ohio state yet. So it's hard to say that they lead the recruitment for him because he kind of don't even really know where he stand with them. And They desperately need either one or two offensive tackles, considering that they're most likely going to lose Parrish Johnson and Dewan Jones next year, and they desperately need to replenish the farm system. And, you know, Paitlin Kirkland has already eliminated the Buckeyes. He was a guy that they were pretty high on for a while, and they just kind of moved in a different direction. A guy that has developed into maybe a new option for them, I guess, is Ian Reed, who just got offered in April and spent almost a damn week in Columbus on his visit. He had only planned on being there that Tuesday and Wednesday, but he extended his visit all the way through the spring game through that Saturday and left Sunday. I think he's a guy that they're absolutely considering, and he's from Texas, a four-star guy, so it's not like necessarily a developmental guy that fans would freak out if stud took or something like that back in those days. But, and he also, you know, has Midwest roots and has family that lives in Ohio. So I think they definitely have a puncher's chance there if that's the way they want to go. But I definitely think, and Olas isn't a sure thing, especially considering that a lot of crystal balls haven't projected, you know, Alabama, and he's always seemed to love what the Crimson Tide have to offer, but he's, Ohio State's quickly gaining ground in that regard, but I just don't know if they can make up enough, but they will get the final crack at him instead of Alabama. So I guess that's not nothing, but it's just hard to say that Ohio State has an offensive tackle prospect right now where you're like, yes, they're in great standing with him and they're going to get that guy because I just can't find one on their board right now. And yet it's their biggest need. So Where does that leave them? Probably we'll have a better answer to that question in a month from now. So who are the guys that you do think Ohio State is going to get it? You know, all all positions in this class. I mean, just name a few guys that, you know, right now you feel confident that if things keep going the way they're going, Ohio State is ultimately going to land those players. All right. I'll give you three, Dan. I'll go with Noah Rogers. 
100% out of North Carolina, who I think kind of gets undervalued a little bit because, you know, Ohio State's going after Brandon Ennis and Carnell Tate. But Noah Rogers is a very capable wide receiver as well. And he's gotten a flurry of projections in the last couple of days to go to Ohio State. And he just visited Columbus for the spring game. And he told 24-7 that he could conceivably commit this month. And if he follows that trend, that commitment will be to Ohio State if he commits before he takes his official visits. I also think that they're in great position with Kay and Lee, who decommitted from Georgia a couple months ago. Kay and Lee has always loved Ohio State. They've always kind of been his I, second team, I suppose. I mean, he is from Georgia, so it's not hard to knock the kid for you know wanting to commit to his hometown team. But now that that's seemingly out of the picture... I think he's always been intrigued by Ohio State and what they have to offer. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if he commits to Ohio State shortly after he takes an official visit in June. And then the third guy that I would forecast right now is Arbel Reese because, you know, he's the last Ohio State, the last target from Ohio. And I think that he, you know, he, he was a late bloomer. He got a late offer. I think that he will be one of two linebackers committed to Ohio State in this class, conceivably by the end of the summer. And a fourth one that I'm close to saying I'm pretty confident is going to Ohio State, but I'm not quite ready yet, is Tackett Curtis, because I still think that he's very intrigued by what Wisconsin and USC offer. And I think he's definitely going to go into those official visits with open minds, but I'm close. Jim Knowles is definitely like giving Tackett Curtis those goo-goo eyes or whatever, because he's traveled three times to Louisiana to see him. And the interest there is certainly mutual. And as a sports information director, Jerry Emig would say for Ohio State, I'll give you a bonus coverage and give you one for a 2024 Jeremiah Smith, because he has already loved Ohio State. And then with a commitment of Dylan, I see no reason why he wouldn't be even more intrigued after that. Those are all good names, all names that I agree with. I'm going to I'm going to predict a few others and you could you can tell me if you think I'm off base. But all right, let's do it. Let's do it. I I think Brandon Ennis is going to be a Buckeye. I've it's felt like it's trending that way for a while. I think if his official visit, but he's already moved up, was supposed to be in November, just in June. I think if his official visit goes well next month, I think there's a very good chance that Brandon Ennis is going to commit to Ohio State and become their next five-star wide receiver. I think Walker Lyons is a guy who's always been high on Ohio State. I've always felt good about Ohio State's chances with him. He was another one of the guys who was tweeting last night after Dylan Rayola committed. And so I think there's a very good chance they ultimately end up with him and pair him with Ty Lockwood for a two tight end class. And then the last one, I've just recently come around on this one. I think they ultimately land Caleb Downs and get a five-star safety to be one of the stars of their defensive class. I absolutely agree with you on Brandon Innes. Um, Walker Lyons, I could absolutely see him going to Ohio State, but I think that his official visits are going to be pretty telling, so I'm not ready to go quite as much to say that he's going to be in Ohio State's class yet. And Caleb Downs, I personally, I think it's a two-horse race between Alabama and Ohio State, and I think it's neck and neck. But I absolutely think that he is very much considering Ohio State, and now that he's locked in his official visit, all bets are off. If that official visit goes well, 
your prediction could absolutely be true and Ohio State could land an anchor of the defense in this class. We did get a question from Kay Sterling, and he asked, with the new defensive coaching staff, is there going to be a change in the type of players that are recruited at certain positions? For example, with a short-lived bullet position, his understanding was that they were looking for more athletic linebackers or bigger-bodied safeties to fill in run support. Are they changing their approach to recruiting any defensive positions to accommodate the new schemes? You might know better, Garrick, just from you know talking to recruits every day, but my feeling would be that not really. I don't really think there's been a huge change because, you know, I think if you look at what that bullet position was, it was effectively a strong safety position and they're still going to have that in this defense with the bandit. So maybe there's a little bit more of an emphasis on just getting true safeties rather than kind of that hybrid guy. But I don't really think that there's been a huge change here. I mean, maybe, you know, in terms of edge rushers, maybe you're looking a little more at guys who you think can stand up than maybe they were before because you're implementing that Jack position. But I think by and large, there's probably not a huge change in terms of, you know, the kind of players that would be on Ohio state's board from a defensive perspective. I would also lean toward not really. The thing that I've heard come up the most is that Jim Knowles really wants versatile linebackers. Like whenever I talk to linebacker recruits, I always hear about like how when they meet Jim Knowles, he always is like, oh, you're so versatile. This is how I could picture you playing in this defense. I could picture you lining up here. I could picture you blitzing. I could picture you dropping into coverage. But also, that also just kind of seems like the typical linebacker Ohio State would recruit anyway, someone that could be versatile. So Again, not really, you know, the whole Jack or Leo or whatever the hell that position is going to be called by September. Maybe Jim will name it like Doug or for all we know. That. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think he kind of maybe looks at a guy that could be a hybrid between defensive end and like an outside-ish linebacker. I feel like that's maybe a position that they're trying to like solidify more. But I, I just don't really see a whole bunch of difference in terms of defensive prospects that they're looking at. To put it in a very vague uh, layman's terms, they're looking for good, athletic, uh, highly touted players. So there you go. And then they'll find (laughs) where to play him from there. That's usually a good place to start. Yes. The other big news coming out here over the last couple of days was the NCAA announced on Monday that it was putting new guidelines into place for name, image, and likeness and effective immediately that basically specify that boosters are not allowed to be involved in making NIL deals with recruits. The NCAA says it is going to begin enforcing those guidelines, pursuing in 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 the release that was issued. Basically, it said, you know, quote, the most severe of recruiting violations. And so I think the NCAA already knows they're not going to be able to put a complete stop to what's happening out there, but they do want to, you know, bring a halt to you know, these, you know, hundreds of thousand dollar deals that we're hearing about. I mean, in some case, maybe even going into the millions, it's hard to know, you know, what's true and what's not with some of this stuff, but, you know, big bags of cash being offered to recruits for, you know, NIL deals that may or not, may or may not really truly be NIL deals. And the NCAA has said that it's even going to review violations 
that may have already happened. Now, you know, I think there's some warranted skepticism out there about how the NCA is actually going to be able to enforce violations that already occurred when these guidelines were, were not in place. I would be surprised if we see a ton come out of that. I think the bigger question becomes, you know, is is the NCA actually going to be able to enforce these guidelines going forward? Because we know that the NCA has faced lawsuits about this stuff before. The state laws are different all over the country. I was just talking uh, to, to Gene Smith, actually, in, in the middle of recording this podcast. We stopped so that I could talk to him about NIL, and, and he played an integral role in getting these guidelines passed on Monday. And he said, you know, they don't really know whether they're going to be able to enforce fees. They don't know whether they're going to get hit with lawsuits about this. And so I think the truth is it's too early to really say what impact these guidelines, the NCAA passed on Monday, are going to actually have on what's happening in the NIL space. But I think it was obvious that the NCAA needed to do something considering, you know, some of the stuff we've heard recently with, you know, Miami basketball player threatening to transfer if he didn't get an increase in his NIL. And then, you know, the whole Jordan Addison situation, it's still kind of murky what's actually happening there. If he's transferring for NIL or if he's transferring to go play with Caleb Williams. But I think it was pretty clear that the NCAA needed to do something. The question is this actually going to work. You may find this hard to believe, but I have severe doubts that the NCAA (laughs) is going to be able to enforce anything, let alone a press release that one released. My initial takeaway is, wait, so they're just like, all they're essentially doing is putting a stronger wording on their guidelines that were already in place that were so vague that they had to look at this and go, actually, we need to like completely rewrite how this is enforced because this has gone completely off the rails. So yes, I am very much on par with, I don't know how the NCAA is going to enforce this. The toothpaste is already out of the tube. NIL is running wild and Hey, it's a free market, right? So you can't blame the kids for taking what's available. It sure as hell can hand, but I just don't know how the NCAA is going to enforce it. Like I get to, to your point. Yes. They had to do something. They couldn't just like throw their hands up in the air and go, well, I don't know what you want us to do guys, but <laughs> I, I, I still think that their definition of a booster is vague at best, which is one of like the first questions I had is like, oh, well, what's technically a booster? Like, can a guy sign a name, image and likeness deal if he like goes to like five Ohio State games a year and makes like a hundred dollar donation because his daughter goes to the school? Like, is that technically a booster? Probably would be. But he also is like a CEO of Under Armour or something. I I don't know. Like, how do you enforce that? Right. And even in, I think there was a sentence in there where they're like, the NCAA relies on schools encouraging to like self-report their violations. So even the NCAA, (laughs) look, look, we're we're not going to be able to catch everything. Please tell us when you're doing uh, uh, something wrong, which of course I'm sure every college in the country is just the beacon of 
<laughs> just protect amateurism and all that. And they'll go, oh, excuse me, we can't do that. We need to tell on our boosters that are doing this. So yeah, I'm anyway, this is just me being facetious and sarcastic to say, yeah, I have absolutely no idea how the NCAA is going to enforce this. The only way they could is if they unfairly punish someone that's already taken advantage of the vague written laws and just lay down the hammer there. And even that would just be seems unfair because they were operating under the vague guidelines to which this was presented with anyway. Also, the NCAA has had years to get this right. And they just basically have said, well, I don't care. It's fine. It's you guys uh, run wild with it and we'll react with it after a year and see where we're at. And now here's where we're at. And I still have no faith that the NCAA is going to be able to enforce this effectively. But I do think that as of, you know, Monday when they released that, it's in a better place than it was. I just, I think we'll know a lot more once we see like what punishments they're delving out to violations that by their standards have already occurred and how severe those penalties are. Is it a loss of scholarship? Is it, we'll just have to wait and see like what their enforcements are. And I do wonder, like I was saying, if the NCAA is going to try to make an example out of somebody and just like throw the hammer down and say enough is enough. And based on the way the NCAA goes, it's going to be one of those schools that actually tries to do the right thing and reports a self-violation and they're going to get screwed. But anyway, I'm off my soapbox. You're telling me you don't think Tennessee and Texas A&M were calling the NCAA on Tuesday morning and telling them about all the violations they may have committed over the last 11 months? Yeah, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say they did not. I'm going to say that they looked at that and went, LOL, all right, what recruits next? And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I think, you know, it was one of the questions we've gotten a lot, you know, over the past year is, you know, I think Ohio State has been a lot more conservative with this than some of our schools. And I think some of that has to do with the fact that, you know, Gene Smith has been involved and, you know, coming up with, regulations here. And, you know, I, I was talking to him, you know, I asked him because, you know, he and the working group he was part of, they, they had proposed legislation before NIL went into effect. And I asked him, I said, do you think that if that those, you know, rules had been passed then that, you know, things would be in a better place now? And he, he said, absolutely. I mean, he, he had no doubt, but they would be. And so, Yes. The reason why we are in this position is due to inaction by the NCAA. So it is absolutely warranted to be cynical that the NCAA is actually going to be able to fix the problem that they did nothing to avoid going into it. So yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I think the drama and controversy of NIL is far from over. I did want to ask you, Garrick, you know, you talk to recruits all the time. How, how much do you hear them talk about NIL? Like, do you, is that something that comes up a lot when you're talking to recruits about Ohio State? Um, actually, never, unless I specifically ask about it. And I think that's because of one of two reasons. And the first one is probably more accurate than the second. But the first is I think recruits are smart and I think that they have people advising them that are like, listen, if we get a six figure NIL deal, shut your mouth about it. Don't flaunt it on social media until you're within the program and you're, you know, you don't have an image problem of, Oh, this guy's just trying to collect a seven figure NIL deal. And that's all he cares about because, you know, with separate college coaches, they, you know, 
talk amongst themselves like the rest of us. And there becomes like maybe a gossip columnist saga where, oh, X player over here is only talking to me about NIL and he's not wondering about where he can get developed on the field or he's not trying to make a decision of, all right, well, what's the most sentimental to me? I just want an NIL deal. And quite frankly, if that's really what a recruit was, the way that the market rate was going, I can't blame them. Like if you can get life-changing money for literally just saying, yes, I will go play for your school and that's all you have to do and you're guaranteed a six or seven figure paycheck, hell, I'd do that. Like, I mean, I know Ohio State's taking it a much different way where a lot of their players are very wealthy right now, but that's after they've essentially earned them. That's after they've made a lot of impact plays on the field. Like Travion Henderson, Coach Alfred said in our most recent uh, media availability that I think he made more than uh, Coach Alfred did this year. But <laughs> Travion Henderson also had a breakout 1,000-yard uh, freshman season and was obviously one of the most prolific players on Ohio State's offense. Whereas if you're a recruit and there's no guarantees in this sport, you know, with how violent it is and how many injuries there are, if someone says, all right, sign on this dotted line and – We'll lock you into a seven-year, or not seven-year, seven-figure NIL deal over a four-year period, and all you have to do is it's contingent on you committing to Texas A&M or Tennessee. Who could blame anyone for that? Anyway, that's also not a very smart thing to publicly broadcast that, yes, I picked Texas A&M because I love money, but I really thought that Ohio (laughs) State was better for me at developing me. That's a really terrible message to broadcast. So... I think that's a reason why it hasn't come up a lot. Now, number two, I think it also has a part to play with it. Like we said, that Ohio State, their players are doing well for themselves with NIL, but it's after they're already in the program. And I think that's because Ohio State is sending a message to recruits where, yes, NIL is cool. You should absolutely invest in it. And we're going to educate you on the opportunities that are out there. But we also want someone that wants to be developed and we don't want somebody who's going to prioritize NIL first. We understand that's a major college football landscape shaping movement now, and we're going to support you in that. But we don't want someone who is essentially trying to be like high school free agent and seeing who's going to give them the best NIL deal because we're going to, our collectives are going to work with you to get that for you after you've made a lot of progress on the field. And where, you know, that's not necessarily what Texas A&M and Tennessee's of the world are doing. So I think that, you know, a lot of the prospects that I'm talking to are possibly on board with that with, yeah, NIL is nice, but I also like am invested in having a successful college football career. And that's primarily why I'm going after Ohio State, not saying that recruits that pick Texas A&M or Tennessee are always going there for NIL, but certainly some of them are, if the rumors and all that are anywhere close to being correct. But yeah, yeah, I would think that's a long-winded way of saying NIL never comes up with a recruit that I talk to. Even when I ask like an open-ended question, like what are the biggest factors in your recruitment? Like, I don't think I've heard a single recruit say, name, image, and likeness, and the opportunities that I can get there. I honestly can't think of one. Now, I've asked some about NIL specifically, and they've given kind of a similar answer to what I was saying to where, yeah, it would be nice, and I certainly uh, would love to explore those opportunities, but I'm trying to keep the main thing. And, you know, how much that's true or not, but I was saying if uh, Garrett Hodge was a college football player, Garrett Hodge would absolutely be going like, all right, who's going to pay me the most money in this uh, 
Wild West unregulated NIL world. Let's go. But that's just what I'm hearing from them. And I got to take them at their word face value. So I just think that's the type of players that Ohio State's recruiting. Yeah, I think the reality is that Ohio State has other selling points beyond NIL. I mean, there's some schools that are probably in a position where NIL has to be their main recruiting pitch. That's going to be their best chance of getting these five-star guys. I think for Ohio State, they can point to their track record of developing NFL draft picks. They can point to their track record of winning Big Ten titles and competing for national titles. And I think those are the things they're going to continue to emphasize with recruits because they know, you know, if NIL, the rules can change at any time. Those things can be fickle. I think they want their recruiting strategy to be built on the things that they can control because they really can't control NIL. And so, you know, I think, you know, that's certainly, you know, what that's built on. I mean, like, like you said, I mean, it's going to be a bigger factor for some recruits than others. I mean, there's going to be recruits probably in this cycle. There's going to be guys that they lose out on because another school makes a bigger NIL offer. That's just going to happen. That's part of the reality of this world. Unless the NCAA can really put a shutdown on things, that's going to be the reality of this world. I mean, we saw it with Ohio State basketball where it looked like they were going to get Nigel Pack, and then Miami comes in with a eight hundred thousand dollar offer, and and there you go. So uh, gig if you can get it, yeah. I mean, if that stuff's going to happen, and I don't like you said, like you, I don't fault any player who decides to make that decision. I mean, it's life changing money, and so I don't fault any player who decides to make that decision. But I think oh, it's pretty clear from talking to Ohio State coaches that their pitch to the players is, we want you to make nil money, but we also want you to get developed. And we think if you come here, we can develop you into a player that you're going to become a star and then you're going to get this NIL money. And so it's just a different approach. And I think every recruit has to decide for themselves what's most important for them. I think for some guys, it is going to be most important to go get uh, the money as soon as possible. I think for other guys, they might be more willing to look at it and say, okay, this school can get me to the NFL the best, I think. So I'm willing to wait on that money. I don't need to get it right now because I feel like I'm going to ultimately get it later. And so it's going to be very interesting to see how that unfolds. I don't think there's any question that whether they're talking about it or not, there's no question that NIL is going to continue to be a massive factor in recruitment everywhere, not just at Ohio State, but everywhere in the, in the years to come. And so we'll see how that all plays out. But we did talk to a bunch of Ohio State's assistant coaches last week. A couple pieces of news came out of that injury-wise. Marcus Crowley, fourth-year running back for Ohio State, has to medically retire due to you know a serious knee injury that he suffered. He had multiple uh, injuries over the course of his Ohio State career, and they ultimately made the decision last week that it would be time for him to hang up his cleats and call it a career. And then Mitchell Melton, who missed all of last year, a leg injury, uh, we we learned that he tore his ACL when he went down in the spring game. And so he is going to miss uh, his second straight season at Ohio State. So a uh, tough break for both of those guys. You know, Crowley's a guy who showed some good potential early in his Ohio State career. And unfortunately for him, you know, injuries just kept him from ever uh, being able to build on that. And then, you know, Mitchell Melton was a guy, you know, he was really getting talked up a lot this spring and it really felt like, 
you know, he was a guy at that Jack linebacker position, but he had a chance to earn some real playing time there. And, you know, unfortunately for him, suffering another setback that's going to prevent him from doing that this year. But, you know, I think from Ohio State's perspective, you know, you hate to see this for those guys, but I think from Ohio State's perspective, you know, they're positioned to to be okay here at both spots because you look at running back, they've got Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams, Evan Pryor. I think those are going to be the three guys who, you know, see the vast majority of a work at running back this year. And I think that should be one of the best running back depth charts in the entire country. And then I think you look at that, you know, defensive end edge group. I mean, you've got Zach Harrison and Jack Sawyer and JT Tui Molowau and Jafonte Jean-Baptiste and, and Tyler Friday lead in that group. You, you've got a ton of guys in that role. I mean, it, maybe it hurts your depth at that Jack spot a little bit, but you know, I think Jack Sawyer is probably going to play the most snaps at that spot. Javante Jean-Baptiste could factor in there, maybe even a Zach Harrison. And then, you know, I think the other guy as well, Caden Curry, a guy who lost his black stripe, looked really good this spring as a freshman. I think he's a guy who could now potentially have a bigger opportunity to earn some playing time in that Jack linebacker role with Mitchell Melton being out. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously hard for both of those guys that, you know, I, it's a reality of the business, unfortunately, football is a violent game and especially Crowley with all the injuries that he's had to endure in his career. And you never want to, you know, diminish a severe injury to both of those guys, but Overall, from what you're saying, an overall team perspective, Ohio State should be able to withstand both of them, especially Crowley. I mean, they're with or without him, they're going to have arguably the best running back room in the country with Travion, Mayan, Evan Pryor, and then Dallin Hayden. Who knows? Maybe he could get a few snaps in a couple early games and show what he's capable of doing if they end up getting blowouts. But, you know, I would say Melton hurts maybe a little bit more from a depth perspective just because there's not a whole lot of clarity on what that position is going to be like besides Jack being Jack. Right. And, you know, Tyler Friday and Javante Jean Baptiste, all those guys, but it's a little bit less proven per se than, you know, the running back room right now. So if one of those, especially with how much Mitchell Melton was being talked up during the spring too, like Jim Knowles couldn't stop gushing about the guy. So Obviously, unfortunate to see that, but if either one of those two injuries is going to hurt a little bit more in the long run, I would say Melton's is probably the one that is more costly from a depth perspective. But honestly, they should have the pieces needed to withstand both of those injuries, as unfortunate as it is. With Crowley retiring, Ohio State is now, at least by our math, one under the scholarship limit. Ryan Day seemed to indicate that if they were already at 85 by our math, Ohio state would be at 84 uh, unless they've given a scholarship to somebody that we don't know about. But silver sniper asked, what should they do with that extra scholarship? He said, award it to a high achieving walk-on save it to recruit more players for next year, or look to the portal to fill a need, e.g. offensive line. I think from my opinion would be, you know, I think the ideal thing to do would be if there was an offensive lineman that you could go out and get in the transfer portal who can bolster your depth for this year. I think that would be the ideal move, the move they should make. 
I think the problem of that is can you actually get an offensive lineman who is actually going to make your depth better, who would actually want to come to Ohio state this year when they're likely coming in to be a backup. And I think the answer to that is probably not, you know, I think that becomes the challenge with it is, you know, anybody who's, you know, really, you know, cause it's not a matter of numbers. I mean, they have 16 scholarship offensive linemen right now. So it's not a matter of, they need more numbers. It's a matter of, they need more game ready offensive linemen. And I think most game ready offensive linemen out there, if they're in the transfer portal and they'd have to already be in a portal by now to be eligible to play this year. I mean, most of those guys are going to want to go somewhere where they can start. That's going to be the main reason why guys are in the transfer portal. And so I think it's going to be, I think it's challenging for Ohio state to go out and get a player, you know, just to provide depth on the offensive line, who's, you know, actually going to bring in the kind of depth that they need. And so, you know, I, I think it's more likely they save that spot for next year when I think there's a very good chance they will be bringing in an offensive lineman for the transfer portal for the reasons Garrick talked about earlier, that if they lose Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones, I think it's probably a near certainty that Ohio state will be bringing in an offensive tackle from the transfer portal next year, because I think they are going to need someone who can come in and step in and, and play next year at offensive tackle if they lose both of those guys. But I think for this year, you know, I, I think to me, you know, if, if you have a scholarship left over, I think the obvious move would be to give it to a, you know, senior walk-on in his last year who has earned one. And I think there's, you know, two obvious candidates for that. I mean, one would be Bradley Robinson, the seventh year long snapper who has already been your starter at long snapper for two years. I think uh, it would make a lot of sense to give him a scholarship or the other one uh, would be Xavier Johnson, who was a guy who turned down scholarship offers to walk on at Ohio state. He's played a ton on special teams for the last few years. And they've even been talking about him as a guy who could potentially contribute at wide receiver this year, even in a loaded receiver room. So whether that happens or not, I think he's a guy who's absolutely making a scholarship level impact for Ohio state and would deserve to be rewarded. And so I would think, you know, if you have one scholarship left over that you're not going to use to go get another scholarship player this year, I think the obvious move would be to award a scholarship to one of those two. Well, now you've done and gone brought math into this equation, which I don't know. I don't know if it's your strong suit or not, but it's certainly not mine. So now we're, we're bringing math scholarship. Anyway, I am not going to pretend like I know every single name in the transfer portal available right now, because you know, there were so many, it's hard to keep track of, even if it uh, literally is your job to keep track of that. So I would say the chances of landing an impact offensive lineman that, like you said, if there is one out there, what do you want to come to Ohio State? Probably not, unless he was maybe a sophomore and saw the path to competing for a starting job next year. But I would probably, if it were me, I would probably just award it to one of those senior walk-ons in Xavier Bradley. And so that way, you know that you can get the scholarship back for next year. But that's honestly what I'd probably do at this point, but maybe there's a uh, transfer portal guy out there that uh, we're unaware of that they'll add in the next month or so. And you never know. 
Some basketball news last week, too. Unfortunately, Griffin is not here to talk about that, but you will. Ohio State did fill out its scholarship roster with the addition of Isaac Likely. It's it's spelled L-I-K-E-L-E, but I'm told it's pronounced likely, so I'm going with that. He is a six foot five point guard, maybe best described as a point forward from Oklahoma State. A guy who, a uh, great defender, great rebounder, not a great shooter, made only two free pointers out of 11 attempts last season. So, not a guy who is coming in to be a primary scorer, but a guy, you know. We talked about a crazy comparisons before with Dylan Rayola. I've heard Isaac compared to Draymond Green. So oh, uh, maybe a little bit lofty there, but the idea, you know, being that, you know, this is a guy who's going to have some versatility. And I think most importantly, a, a veteran point guard, a guy who's played for four years, has started a ton of games for Oklahoma State. You looked at what the roster was. Their only true point guard was going to be Bruce Fortin, a true freshman. And so I think bringing in a veteran point guard was absolutely a need. And so I think in that regard, this makes a lot of sense. Now, you know, the question is, you know, they didn't bring in a big man with any of their free transfer spots. So you look at their post depth right now. I mean, they basically have Zed Key and Felix Akpara. I mean, those are basically their only true bigs that they have. And they've got, you know, Kalen Etzler, who's a redshirt freshman who can play that power forward spot. You know, you've probably got some other guys, whether it be, you know, Bryce Sensabaugh or, you know, even guys like, you know, Justice Suing, Seth Towns, who could probably play the four if needed, but not a ton of depth down low. So I think, you know, that would be the question. You know, I also think the reality of this roster right now is I, I don't think there's an EJ Liddell or a Malachi Branham on the roster for next year. Now you could argue that maybe, you know, the top to bottom talent from the roster, you know, in terms of, you know, the depth you might have, the balance you might have. If all goes well, you know, that could be better. I use that term if all goes well, because you, y- Ohio State, if you look at this roster they've built for next year, they're going to be relying on six freshmen who have never played at the collegiate level, three transfers who are new to Ohio State, two guys who were injured all of last season. So it's basically a brand new roster. And so, you know, to me, that makes me really temper expectations for next season for Ohio State because I just – you just don't know. There's just so many unknowns with this team. And to me, I think, you know, the, the floor is a heck of a lot lower than the ceiling with this team. I mean, I, I just think there's a lot of different ways that, you know, this season could go for this team next year because there's just so many unknowns and you're really going to need some unproven players to really step up in a big way. I think if you're going to be able to be that, you know, contending for a sweet 16 birth team that everybody wants them to be, but, you know, in a vacuum, I, I think the Isaac likely signing makes sense. And I do think there's some logic in using all three of the transfer spots on guards, because if you look at what's happened in the NCAA tournament in, in recent years, 
guard play typically dominates the tournament. A lot of times these big 10 teams that are built around a dominant big man struggle in the tournament. So I don't think it's re- it's really all that important for Ohio State to be loaded in the post. You know, I mean, maybe it hurts them in the Big Ten, but I think when you come into NCAA tournament time, I think having that you know great guard play is really is what's most important. I just think my bigger question is, you know, do they have anybody on this team who's really able to be that alpha? You know, who's really able to take over a game? the way an EJ Liddell or a Malachi Branham can. I'm not saying there aren't guys who can be that, but there isn't one guy that I can look at right now and say, I'm really confident this guy can carry the team to a win in a big game. Yeah, it's hard to figure out what the ceiling of this team is. I would think for me, the ceiling is two or three freshmen are awesome right away. Tanner Holden is Still a elite scorer like he was at Wright State, jumping up in major competition, obviously. And you get something from someone that maybe you're not expecting to. Like maybe Zed Key turns into a 12 or 13 point in that yeah, kind of game. And Justice Suing, you know, is uh, fully recovered and becomes a prolific scorer again. So Obviously, all of those sounds like wishful thinking, and but that's just like ceiling talk, right? But no, this team could, I would say if the season started next week, I would probably say that I would put them around a bubble team. That just sounds about right for me because there's some obvious talent there and they've obviously done well in recruiting. And we've seen over the years that, you know, impactful freshmen can absolutely like contribute right away in a basketball season and win you some games. They can also lose you some games by making freshman mistakes, of course, but I would say they're probably a fringe bubble team right now if the season started today. And uh, regarding uh, likely, I think that he's the type of player when things are going well that you really appreciate because of his jack of all trades, exception of shooting type of uh, makeup. And when things are not going well, he's kind of the guy that like some will pick on because, you know, when like Ohio State needs a big three, he's obviously not going to be able to contribute in that role or he's not a great shooter. So, you know, in that those crucial moments, he's not going to be able to get you a big bucket when you need it. Now, he could probably get you a big defensive stop when you need it, but it's just kind of an interesting makeup. And this kind of seems like a team that's being built for not this year, but next year. And when all the pieces kind of gel together and that recruiting class really like comes into their own, which, you know, probably Ohio State fans won't have a lot of patience for that if they start slow out of the gate. So it seems kind of hard to put a finger on right now, but I still think that there's enough talent there to where they could conceivably make a tournament berth next year. It's not like it's a complete start over situation, but Like you were saying, I don't think there's anyone on this roster that is capable of doing what EJ Liddell or Malachi Branham did last year. I just don't see it. I mean, you know, Tanner Holden scored, what, close to 20 points a game last year at Wright State. But, you know, no offense to the Horizon League, but it's not the Big Ten. And asking a guy to be that much of a scorer right away is asking an awful lot. And I don't even really know who I've would project to lead the team in scoring i guess either tanner holden or justice suing i don't know who, who would you think would lead the team in scoring then yeah i'd split behind between those two as well and i think that's where you know my doubts creep in because you go okay it's either a guy who played in the horizon league last year and now has to step up to a big jump in competition or 
a guy who missed almost all of last season of an injury. And so I think when you're relying on guys like that, like I said, a lot of unknowns. I would disagree slightly with the point you made about, you know, being built for a year from now, just at least in terms of the transfers, if we're being specific, because two of those guys, likely and Sean McNeil, they only have one year left of eligibility. So they weren't bringing those guys in for the future. They're, they're bringing those guys in to, to try to be co- competitive now. I mean, same thing with, you know, suing and towns coming back. Those guys have one year left. And so you're hoping, you know, all, you know, those four and Tanner Holden, you know, those moves are all about right now. Those moves are all about trying to be competitive right now. I do agree in the sense that if I was predicting right now, I think Ohio state will be better in two years when I think they will be this year. I would absolutely agree with that. And that's why I have said before and could easily be saying again, a year from now that I do think Chris Holtman is going to get at least two more years at Ohio state, regardless of how this year goes, because I think realistically somewhat of a step back should be expected this year. And I don't think that this year should be the year that's the referendum on Chris Holtman's tenure at Ohio State. It might be viewed that way because of the fact that it is already his sixth year. And like you said, Ohio State fans are getting impatient. And I understand that. I think that's just the nature of, you know, being at Ohio State. But I I do think, you know, to me, in my mind, I look at it more of, Within the next two years is when we really need to see this program make that jump. I think if within the next two years with this recruiting class coming in, if Chris Holtman can't take that next step within the next two years, then I think, okay, like we really got to start asking the hard questions now, but you know, I, 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 I think, you know, these moves are still being made for, being competitive this year. I mean, don't get me wrong. If Ohio State misses the tournament this year, people are not going to be happy and there's going to be some hard questions that are going to be asked. I'm with you. I mean, I mean, I'm not picking them to miss the tournament, but I, I do think that, you know, this is a team that could be close to the bubble next year. I do think that just be just because you don't have that EJ or, or Malachi type. I mean, again, they could because we didn't necessarily know that Malachi would become what he became in one year. And so maybe a Bruce Fortin becomes that kind of player, you know, maybe one of the other freshmen becomes that kind of player. So they could, but you're just banking on a lot of different unknowns right now. Yeah. I mean, I think they're a team that's two years away and, you know, obviously you're going to build for this year too, because you're not just going to forfeit the, or just phone it in this season and take the scholarships when they're given. But I think it's a team that we'll see really how this is really, this plan is gelled together two years from now with this recruiting class. And I think if you're an optimist in terms of the basketball sense, that's where I'd probably put my focus on Um, it. When, inevitably there's some rough patches of this core that have hardly played any minutes together at least a lot of them you know inevitably goes through a slump here their next season one final question we got today from daniel garrick i will let you take this one first what is your favorite vacation spot and what do you like to do there oh god i'm gonna get like 
thrown off the podcast forever with my answer to this, but my favorite vacation spot, I don't know if I'd call it a vacation spot. I would just say it's like my favorite city. So I try to go there whenever I can, but it's Kansas city. And now anyone that's still listening to this is just probably like tried to like clean out their ears. Like, did this man really just say Kansas city is his favorite city in the world? And this is coming from a guy that had uh, Chicago 35 minutes away from him. I love, I'm a huge barbecue aficionado. And I think that Kansas city has the greatest barbecue out of the entire country. No disrespect to Texas close second, but I think Kansas city barbecue is fantastic. I like that. It's a big city, but not too big. It's pretty easy to maneuver Uh, rush hour in Kansas city is far better than rush hour in Chicago or LA or New York or a big city like that. And the people are very down to earth from my experience. If you're into the bar scene, they have two really cool bar districts, you know, the 11 dub photog. So I really think that it's a scenic city to shoot. Like there's a cool world war one museum that you can go to. And you can also get like a big, like panoramic shot of the city, which I think is really cool. And fun fact, not that this really matters in any way, but I just think it's interesting. Kansas city is the has the most fountains of any city in the world, not named Rome. And, you know, the sports scene with the Chiefs, the Royals are pretty cool. So fun little factoid for you there. Didn't think we were going to talk about uh, fountains in Kansas City today, did you, Dan? No, I didn't. But I I, I know our friend Zach Carpenter is a big podcast guy. I hope Zach is listening because I know he will be proud of your answer as a big Chiefs fan. He will like to hear that. And you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, next year of a draft in Kansas City, I've never been to Kansas City. I might have to go next year and, and try some of that famous Kansas City barbecue because I have heard very good things. So anyone listening, order Kansas. Uh, if you're in Kansas City, order Joe's Kansas City. It would be my death row meal. Like if someone said, like, what's the last meal you want before you die? I would say a pulled pork and brisket sandwich from Joe's Kansas City. That would be my last meal as I shuffle off this mortal coil. Yeah. So our answers here for vacation spots are very riveting. I'm, I, I'm guessing Kansas City was not what anyone was expecting. And my answer probably isn't what you're expecting either. But for me, my favorite, my favorite vacation spot is going back to Massachusetts. That's where I grew up. That's still where most of my family and some of my closest friends live. And so, you know, this summer I'm going on vacation for two weeks. I'm going to spend uh a week and a half of that in Massachusetts, seeing seeing my family. And that's really what it ultimately uh, comes down to for me. That's where I spend a lot of my vacation time because, you know, I don't, you know, being living out here in Ohio, I don't get to see, you know, my my parents and you know some of my friends from, you know, back in Ohio as, as much as uh, I would like. And so I, I try to, you know, go back to the homeland whenever I can to see my family up there and, you know, asked about, you know, what, I like to do there. I mean, I think, you know, some of it's just, you know, going back to, you know, good restaurants that I liked going to when I was growing up, you know, Massachusetts is not exactly a golf Mecca, but you know, Garrick knows, I know Garrick loves to golf when he's on vacation, but oh, uh, I love, golf. <laughs> love it. I, but yeah, I, I, I love golf. So wherever I'm vacationing, I, I like to golf. So, uh, you know, there'd probably be, there'd probably be better spots to go for golf, but you know, still something that I always like to do on vacation. I love going, I love trying to get to a Red Sox game every year. I go on vacation in the summer, you know, Fenway is uh, one of the coolest venues out there. So looking forward to getting back there again this summer for a Red Sox Yankees game, but yeah, you know, probably not what necessarily people think of in terms of an ideal uh, vacation destination. But for me, you know, just being able to go back and, and spend time with family and friends, but I don't get to see as often as I would like, you know, to me, that's what vacation's all about. 
they're going to check us into like a mental institution after (laughs) our answers. But yeah, no, maybe you can uh, sneak me into your, like your suitcase or something when you go to Kansas city for the draft next year, because I'll, I'll weasel my way onto that trip, but I'll find a way you'll see. Yeah, I am. I'm already thinking about that Joe's Kansas City barbecue, if it's as good as I've heard it is. So definitely looking also online order. It's pricey, but worth it. Definitely looking forward to trying that. And we're going to have to find a reason for Garrick to get back there, too, so uh, that he can get some of that coveted barbecue that he loves. Really hope Ohio State starts recruiting the Kansas City area in the post haste. Yeah, let's make it happen. Ohio State coaching staff. But anyways, I think we've talked your ears off long enough here on this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Garrick, really appreciate you joining the show this week. Great job filling in and we will look forward to having uh, Griffin, assuming Griffin makes it back safely from his Costa Rican adventure. We will look forward to having him back on the show next week. So uh, thanks again for joining us and we'll talk to you again soon.